at the ripe old age of 102. Not, and it's not 102. It's, it's 88, but it seems like he should be about 102. He's still doing it. And the premise of Truth or Consequences was this. They'd get a contestant up, and they would say, okay, we're going to ask you a question. If you can answer it before the buzzer goes off, you're okay. But if you can't, consequence is coming. And uh, they'd pose some silly question, some off-the-wall question, you know, that nobody could possibly answer. It would be very rare for anybody to answer correctly. And so the buzzer would go off, and, and they'd get this consequence. And sometimes it was some stunt they had to do. Sometimes it was some silly thing they made them do and make themselves look all foolish. And most people just really did it in good fun, good-naturedly. And every once in a while, the consequence was a good one. The consequence was, okay, he didn't get the question answered. Here's the consequence, and the curtain would open, and there would be a loved one that they hadn't seen for years, and the show had flown them in. Sometimes it was a son or daughter who was in the military, you know, stationed elsewhere, some from Vietnam, and they would bring them back, and they would visit right there on the stage and see each other again. What a wonderful consequence there was. Bob Barker, during the years when he hosted it, which is like over 10 years, would always finish the show with these words, here's hoping that all your consequences will be happy. <laughs> truth or consequences? Well, truth helps us avoid consequences that are not so happy, doesn't it? That's because knowing the truth helps us make better choices, gives us wisdom for life, gives us an understanding of how life works, and so consequences are not so great. And it helps us avoid the consequences that other people are falling into. The past two months, we've been asking, what is the truth? And we've discovered in the Word of God the truth about a lot of big topics, things like religion and money and sexuality and temptation and government and, and the judgment and just big topics. They save us a lot of trouble, a lot of pain if we know the answer to these things. Truth is very important. It can show us the way. Our enemy... One who is uh, fighting against us all the time is called the father of lies. He's the liar of all liars. Deception, falsehood are his, his game. They're his specialty. And that's why Jesus said to his followers, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what is the truth? Truth is the compass. Truth shows us true north. Points away. It tells us what's right and wrong. It Helps us avoid error. The truth we've been learning about, we have been calling absolute truth. Truth that never changes. Now, some people think that such truth doesn't exist, but it does. In fact, there's nothing we can do to change that. We can deny it. We can ignore it. We can pretend it doesn't exist, but it's still true. And if we, we try to change that, we'll just kind of keep bumping up against it and get a lot of bruises in the process because truth is truth. It never changes. In fact, the point of truth is to change us. When we share absolute truth, eternity hangs in the balance. Truth is not just a topic for casual conversation, you know, like sports or the weather or, or maybe the entertainment uh, industry and the latest news. Truth makes a difference. The embodiment of truth is a person. His name is Jesus. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father that is God except through me. The truth is that those who embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be redeemed from sin and death and hell. 
But those who reject Jesus, those who choose to rebel against God in truth, will be condemned to hell for all eternity. So this is pretty heavy-duty truth, isn't it? This is big topic time. This is the difference between life and death. Our mission as Christians is to share this truth, to share the big topics, to share the heavy-duty topics. And yet this truth can be easily missed or ignored. How do we speak the truth to a world that doesn't want to hear it? How do we speak to a world that rejects the truth because it's uncomfortable, doesn't please them? How do we share the truth with worldly people who may easily reject the truth because it kind of messes up their plans, changes how they look at things? How can we communicate that truth so people are willing to hear it? Where Apostle Paul speaks to this, and he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speak the truth in love. That's exactly what the verse says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, even that is Christ. Speak the truth in love. Let's, let's kind of break that down quickly here. First of all, in order to speak the truth, it requires speaking. <laughs> You've got to talk. You've got to speak. And that can be a problem. We have to use our mouths, our tongues, and sometimes that's a problem. The whole area of speech takes a lot of work. Some of us have a hard time keeping our tongues under control. And often, all of us at times have had our mouths get ahead of our brains. And suddenly we've blurted it out. Suddenly we've said something. Oh man, I wish I could pull those words back. I wish I'd never said that. And sometimes we live with the regret of that our entire lives. There's no way to, to reclaim words once spoken. James talks about bridling our tongue, much like you'd bridle a horse, so that Something good and, and constructive can come out of things rather than the destructive and bad things that a loose tongue can produce. Speaking the truth requires wisdom and, and discernment as to what to say. Sometimes it's easier not to speak, isn't it? Sometimes it's easier just to hold our tongue, say nothing when we know we really should, and we regret that too. Sometimes we don't want to be the messenger, especially if the news we have to share is bad news, or at least is perceived as bad news. At other times, we don't want to be the person who has to hold someone else accountable for their actions. But the word says, speak the truth in love, and that requires speaking. To speak the truth in love, we must be willing to speak when it would be easier to keep quiet. We must be willing to speak when a brother or sister has fallen into sin. We must be willing to speak when some injustice is being done and it must be corrected. And we must be willing to speak when someone we care about is lost and going to hell. So we speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and must speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So speaking the truth in love requires speaking. It also requires the truth. We must know the truth. We must possess the truth before we can speak it. And the truth we've been learning about this fall is not just for our benefit. It's not just so that we know more and we're wiser and we can avoid some of the pitfalls of life and, and live life as God intended. It's so that that truth can be shared. Truth is not my personal agenda. It's not my wishes. It's God's truth. Truth for everybody. Truth for the people that have the same color skin as me and those that don't. 
Uh, truth for the people who belong to my political party and those that don't. Truth for the people that, that live in my part of the world that I would count as my neighbors and people that live on the direct opposite side of this world that I will never see personally, but the truth is for them too. Truth is not to be compromised. It's not to be sugar-coated. We cannot make it more believable, more palatable by changing it somehow or by mixing in a little of other things, you know, so it's easier for it to go down. Because truth is what it is. Speaking the truth is sharing the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So truth must be shared with sincerity and, and honesty and, and our own transparency. Truth must be shared with humility as we bow to the truth ourselves, as we, as we come under the truth ourselves, just like everyone else needs to. Truth isn't ours. It's not a weapon. It's not uh, uh, something we use against somebody. Truth is God's. And truth is awesome. Truth is life-changing. Truth is the difference between life and death. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul said to his young friend Timothy, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. And that brings us to the third point, speaking the truth in love. It requires love. It demands love. How we speak to someone is just as important as what we say. Is the truth we speak couched in love? Is it spoken in the context of a relationship that demonstrates genuine compassion and, and sensitivity for that person that we're speaking to? As we speak the truth, are we considering where that person is right now in their life, in their journey? What they may or may not know. Don't assume anything. Don't, don't assume that they've had the same benefits that you've had up to this point. And don't condemn and criticize for someone who knows no better than the way they're living. Are we respectful of them, whether they, be, they believe in God or not? Are we kind? Are, are we gracious in the approach? The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, he said, with gentleness and respect. How do you respond to criticism? I don't do too well with criticism. I suspect some of you don't either. How do you respond when somebody has something critical to say? they got this negative thing they want to say to you. They don't like what you did. They don't like what you didn't do. They don't like the way you look. They don't like something about you. And this message is coming across. Sometimes we deserve what they're saying. Sometimes they're giving us exactly what we need. But none of us likes to be corrected, do we? None of us likes to have someone kind of talk down to us, you know, put us in our place. And somehow we seem to think that, you know, they're, they're putting themselves above us, that they've got it together better than we do. They know better than we do. That's, that's what I want you to think of. When we are communicating this truth, this eternal truth that can make the difference of life and death, how we approach that may look to them a whole lot like somebody coming to us and being critical of our lives. So when we speak the truth in love, have we first taken the time to establish a relationship with that person? Have we spent time getting to know them before we tell them 
One day, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I remember that letter I wrote to Charlie. And he was dying of cancer. I wasn't around him, didn't really have much to do with him, but I knew him, he knew me. He was much older than me, and I thought, this is my last chance to say something to him before he dies, and basically I blasted him. Basically, I told him, you know, repent or you're going to hell. And you just have a little time. It was not couched in love. It was not said with sensitivity. It was not said with compassion. And I learned from his family how deeply that hurt him that I wrote that letter. I will always regret that letter. Has there been sufficient time in your relationship for you to show them your love so that they're willing to give what you have to say a fair hearing? Does our message sound like criticism or does it sound like compassion to them? One of our newer members, her husband, have told me about the reaction and response that they are getting from her family since she became a Christian. I won't go into a lot of detail, but basically they're kind of skeptical of the changes that they're seeing in their lives. They see the changes in her and her family, but they're skeptical that those changes are really coming because of Jesus. They think maybe she's using self-help books or something else, and uh, they wonder if the changes are going to last. And so there's this time frame here where they're looking, they're observing, they're questioning, and the attitude is kind of an attitude of skepticism. They doubt that the transformation is real because they seem to doubt that God could really have such an impact on somebody's life. And that's the tension. All of us have that tension with someone that is watching us and weighing us and measuring us and evaluating us. Are you legitimate? Are you sincere? Do you really care? Is the compassion what you say it is? Maybe I'll give you a chance to speak some truth to me if everything else adds up. See, I don't think the reaction of that family is so different than the reaction we get from a lot of people because people want to see the truth before they can hear it. They want to see the truth fleshed out in our lives before they open their hearts to us to what the truth may be able to do for them or in them. Now this morning, guys, if you'll pass those cards out to everybody, please. Get some cards I want you to each get today. It's a very simple little card. I want you to carry it with you. Uh, as soon as they pass it out, I'll, I'll kind of uh, explain it point by point. Basic thought of this card is for you and I as Christians, as followers of Christ, to take responsibility for speaking the truth in love, communicating the truth we know in Jesus Christ to other people. And uh, we need to do that by, by uh, communicating them in, through the relationship first and then through our words. Okay, I know this will take a little bit of time. This is as fast as you can, guys. <laughs> if, he, uh, if somehow it isn't enough for quite everybody, then at least one for each family or something. At the top of the list, it says one by one, W-O-N by one. The top of the list, I'd like you to, first of all, think of some people in your life that are not Christians, people that are lost. You just put them in the category. They don't know God. They're not following Jesus. And uh, unless something changes, they're lost. They will be lost. And I want you to identify those people by name. Nobody else is going to see this card unless you decide to show it to them. I want you to put it in your Bible. I want you to carry it with you in your purse, maybe, ladies, 
or put it in your wallet, guys, wherever you can have it. So frequently you can pull it out and you can remember, these are people I've identified in my life that God has brought me into their life so that I can have an impact, so that I can have an influence in their life. I don't know how far that will go, but for right now, I'm going to put their name down. And then if you follow down through the instructions, first thing you do is you set aside time each day to pray for them. You ask God to bless them. You ask God to watch over them, help them as they're, they're uh, learning, as they're growing. And, and for God to open up your friendship to them, open up the relationship. Pray about their spiritual condition and ask that God would give you some natural opportunities to share his love. Secondly, make it a priority to communicate with them on a regular basis. Hopefully at least once a week. Maybe there's somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with, somebody that you live next door to, maybe somebody in your own household. And so you have those opportunities. But make that a priority to be a friend to them. Thirdly, figure out a way to do something special with them at least every three months. Have them over for dinner. Go out to a movie together. Uh, whatever you'd like to do together. Go bowling together. Go camping together. Whatever that may be. Go to a ball game. Mow their yard. Um, maybe repair something that you know how to fix and they don't. Maybe babysit their children. Share a book with them that would be helpful to them. All kinds of opportunities for you to go out of your way personally to help them, to show some kind of concern, some kind of love. Fourthly, be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As you pray about this, and you are praying for these people every day, it will be amazing to you, it always is, that God opens doors. God gives opportunities. God says, Okay, now you're out doing this together. It's be a great opportunity to talk about that. And the subject comes up, and you start stepping through an open door the Holy Spirit gave you. Don't push, don't force the issue, but be ready. Step five, invite them to church. Maybe it would be something that's a little more non-threatening than the worship service or, or something that's a little more in their face or something that they're not ready for. Maybe it's to the dinner theater. Maybe it's to a small group meeting. Maybe it's to some fun activity the church is doing and, and you just invite them to come. Offer to pick them up, sit with them, so on. And then six, be ready to tell them about Jesus when the time is right. Try not to be timid, but also try not to be over the top in the way you talk about Jesus with them. This week is Thanksgiving. And uh, everyone's mind is on Thanksgiving. And to give you a, a little hint, this week, Thanksgiving is an easy topic to start a conversation with because everybody's already got it on their mind. Everybody's grateful for something. Even if their life is, is really bad right now, there's still something in there to be thankful for. And as you begin talking with that neighbor or coworker or friend, just ask them about what they're doing for Thanksgiving and then listen and respond. Tell them what you're doing for Thanksgiving maybe. Or maybe what you're thankful for in your life. And if, if perchance the opportunity comes, you can go a little bit deeper with that conversation and say, you know, I'm really grateful for what God has done for me. Or what God is doing in my life. What he's teaching me. What I've learned even the last few weeks. And then share that with them. Use the holiday. Use the occasion that everybody's thinking about anyhow to launch a deeper conversation with your friend or acquaintance. But don't be in a hurry. Just take time for those conversations to develop and speak the truth in love. Now, if you got the email on Friday, you know that I promised to talk plainly about where we are as a church. And we have some uh, new people with us today. 
I hope you understand why we're doing this. You may be wondering about New Hope Christian Church and where we are right now, how we're doing. Some of you may be disillusioned, may be discouraged with some things that have happened, so we're going to talk about it. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but the truth is, from last year to this year, we're down in attendance. We're down in offerings from where we were a year ago. For some, enthusiasm has waned. Not everybody, but for some. To them, the church may seem a little flat or stagnant, and we need to be honest about that. Last year, we averaged 142 people in worship. We've averaged higher than that in the past. Now we are averaging about 120. That's a difference. It's going the wrong way if you look at the numbers. Why is that? What's the problem? What can we do about it? Well, we can explain that in many ways, and I'm sure we could come up with probably a dozen. We could talk about the national trend of people moving away from the church. And that's obviously a trend. We can talk about our country's economic problems and, and the stress that everybody is feeling right now to, to watch that and be careful about that, and, and it changes some things. We can talk about the specific challenge that came to our church when our former youth minister decided to leave last spring, when he departed and, and some people went with him. We could talk about that because these are all critical obstacles to church growth and they take a while to overcome. You can't expect churches to recover quickly from some things. But we are recovering. There are no quick fixes. What I want you to realize is this. None of these things that I mentioned change the fact that we are still here to serve the Lord and to take the good news to people who are lost. That's our mission. It will always be our mission. That's the truth. And even with anything that comes up, any challenge, any obstacle, God has a mission for us to accomplish. And there are many good things that are happening. I want you to remember those. That day back in May, when we held our Mission Possible Day, we celebrated what God is doing in Prince William County and shared generously with four different mission agencies in our area. It was an incredible day, wasn't it? We filled this room up with people and with items to give to those four ministries in our county. It was just an awesome day. The very next month, we celebrated our 40th anniversary as a church. We had a block party out here on the front lawn. Uh, the downside of it was it was 95 degrees in the shade. <laughs> it was awful. It was brutal. And we had invited a lot of people from the area, and only a few of them showed up because it was too hot to go anywhere. Everybody was staying in the air conditioning. And we're sitting out there in the tent, in the sunshine, uh, just baking. You know, it, it, was, it was miserably hot, but it was a good day. This summer, we had one of our largest groups of teenagers ever go to the Christ in Youth Conference. It was a great week, and uh, I think some lives were deeply touched by that. Since May... We have been praying and searching for our next youth minister. And finally, Christian Jorgensen is here. And he's a good one. He's going to be really a, a great thing for this congregation and, and a great motivator and equipper for this church. It takes some time for these things to happen. Don't forget that just this very week, Thanksgiving dinner is going to be served here, right here. And we're going to be providing Thanksgiving dinner and good fellowship to needy people in our community who have no way to pay us, no way to pay us back, no, no way except the words 
to show their thanks. That's going to be okay. Because God's love is going to be expressed to people who need to know that God is, is, is concerned about where they live and how they're living and what their lives are about. And, and friendships, we hope, will come from that. And relationships where Jesus can be lifted up. So dis, don't discount what God is doing here at New Hope. And we can talk about a lot of things. But do you know what the main obstacle to growth is? Does anybody know? It's us. It's you and me. Let's be honest about that. The obstacle to growth, to church growth, the obstacle to reaching the lost is you and me. Can't blame anybody else. And we've allowed ourselves to start turning inward, to focus more on ourselves and maybe our sense of loss or maybe the discouragement some of us may feel. We've allowed ourselves to stop trusting God as much for the resources that he alone can supply. And so we've gotten real careful about how we spend money. We've gotten real careful about what we can do because where are the dollars for that? Where are the resources for that? And because of this kind of an inward focus, it means we can't be as outward as we need to be. So how can we turn that around? We must continue to take care of each other as a church. I think we do a good job of that. We watch out for people's needs. We try to minister to those needs. We're, we're there to lift up somebody when they fall down. And we're there when a the family has a crisis that the church gathers around them and helps them with that crisis. And if it takes months, we're still there. We're, we're not going anywhere. We're going to help. We must continue to do that. But as a church and as individuals of this church, we must turn outward to focus on the lost people around us who don't know Jesus yet. Why don't you ask yourself this morning, look at this card, who are you witnessing to right now? Who, who would you put at the top of this list that you're already building a relationship with? Who are you already trying to look for opportunities to talk to them about God and, and, and tell them about Jesus when the time is right? And, and to just lift up God as somebody that makes a difference in your life. Who would you already put on the top of that list? If there's nobody, there's a reason there's nobody. Because we're not thinking about it. We're not concerned about it. I would guess that a lot of us would have trouble figuring out who we could put there that we're already doing those things for. This is new. This is different. This is, this is a challenge. And what I'm putting before each of us today is that very challenge that if you're expecting the preacher to do all of that, it's not going to happen. If you're expecting now we got two preachers to do all of that, it's not going to happen. If you're expecting the elders and deacons to carry the weight of this, it's not going to happen. It's going to be every single member of this congregation saying, I am a follower of Christ. My love for people around us demands that I speak to them and that I speak the truth in love into their lives by my words, by my example, by my lifestyle, by my overall witness. If our focus is inward, no wonder we're discouraged. We've taken our eye off the ball. Uh, no wonder some of us are disillusioned. Some may be disheartened. It's similar to a football game, you know, and the running back goes down the field and he fumbles. Or maybe the receiver has the ball put right in his hands and he drops the pass. Even if the turnover wasn't your fault, the whole team takes a hit for that because they could have made yardage and they missed it. The most natural reaction is to get into kind of a defensive position when you've had to punt. The most natural reaction is to huddle up and, 
and try to figure out how we can avoid further damage. Well, what we should be thinking about is how can we get the ball back? How can we get the ball back and make some yardage? We may even feel like leaving the game. We may be tempted to just throw our hands up and run out of the stadium. But that's not going to solve anything. And before I make this whole sermon a football analogy, let me just say, we need to get back in the game. And we need to keep our eyes on the ball. We need to focus on the goal. And that is to take as many people to heaven with us as possible. We need to remember that our coach is God. Our coach is God. Think about that. We need to remember that the sponsor, the owner of our team, has every resource that we will ever need. That's already his. I don't care about Dan Snyder or one of those other guys. You know, have millions to throw into this. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything that we will ever see or touch in this life. Everything we could ever imagine is already his. And our job is to build each other up and to create and build friendships with the people around us who do not yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Why do you look at this card one more time? Who are you going to write on that card? You know their name? You know somebody? All three of them? Maybe more than three? Write their names on there right now. And make the commitment today that you're going to keep that card in front of you. You're going to pray for them every day. And you're going to be looking for opportunities every week and every quarter and every time you can to serve them, to help them, to show compassion to them, to come alongside them and look for those opportunities that you can speak the truth in love. I want you to read with me from a passage in the book of Acts for just a moment as we conclude. In Acts chapter 3, we read about two of the apostles going to the temple. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John went to the temple to pray. They didn't have anything but their faith in Jesus. Physically, financially, they were tapped. Many new people had come into the church and they were trying to lead a church now of several thousand people. People they didn't even know hardly. They just met them. You know, just a few months had passed. And as they came through this temple gate, they saw a lame man they'd probably seen there many times. Many times they'd never spoken to him. They'd never done anything for him. But that day, things were different. And Peter said, we don't have money. We don't have everything you need or what you want. But what we have we give you. May we communicate that same message 
to the world around us, to the people that we live next to and the people that we work with, the people we go to school with, people that, that are in our family that don't know the Lord yet. And may we be like Peter and John that don't worry about what we don't have. We give them what we do have. We have the truth. We have Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We have the one who said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, just bow in humility before you. We confess to you today that we have, uh, in many ways, grown inward as a church. We've done that out of uh, maybe a sense of loss or a sense of uh, security that we want to gain back. Maybe we've done that because we are discouraged or uh, just kind of want to let some healing happen. I don't know what, what all causes this to happen, Lord, uh, but after you go through some different things in life, I, we can get defensive. But you've called us to a mission. You've called us to a mission as a church. And we've chosen the name New Hope because we realize that hope is what's missing in this world. There are many people that are hopeless. And uh, the truth is, in Jesus Christ, that they can have hope, not only for this life, but for eternity. And uh, you, you have called us into this mission to be able to communicate uh, through our example, through our words, the love that you have given us all through Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray for the people that, that are on our list or soon will be, that we will be uh, really diligent and, and committed to this, to pray for them every day. That, that will change everything right there. If we will lift them up in prayer every day, Lord, you'll start to change our hearts. You will change our focus. You will change uh, the way we feel about this mission. Maybe we've tried to put it off on... on uh, a few people to accomplish, but it's the job of every Christian, every follower of Christ. Help us, Lord, to, to realize that the witness that we have is, is vitally important to the people around us. It may make the very difference for them in eternity. Uh, fill us with your love. Help us to be uh, so loving, so compassionate that we exhaust ourselves every day loving others. Um, keep us in that, that focus, in that, that uh, frame of mind, Lord, as we look to see uh, those who are lost and tell them about Jesus. Uh, I pray for your blessing on my brothers and sisters here. Lord, uh, we love the people of this church. We have so many good things happening here. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, just fill us with your spirit and help us uh, to be guided by him every day and uh, to, to know the people around us that we need to talk to and, and share life with. And uh, we pray that you would bring uh, the results that only you can. Lord, we trust you. We are confident in you uh, to provide everything that is needed. Uh, as we look at numbers, and we, we wonder about those numbers sometime, Lord, uh, the numbers are yours. Uh, our job is to be with people and to love them. And we pray that we would be about that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you